Hello, hello, hello. This is Truth Be Told. This is Dr. Walter Aka. And you guys know me. My name is Leroy Horton. I could not pass up this chance. We got a guest whose name also goes with one of my favorite songs of all time. So I'm just going to bless you with like five to ten seconds of, and all my African brothers and sisters definitely know this song. Let's see if it'll play for us here. We're not hearing anything. Are you hearing anything? You might have to turn. Okay. See, this is Aww. this is this is what you get for not going stuff, going things over with us. Uh, I was this trying to. Get I, being, I was trying to raise the bar, but it was Fatima by by Canaan. Yes, but the, this the, is what the you Somali get for, Somali artist. This, what, this yeah. is what you get for freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're usually very organized. <laughs> I love it though. I love it. <laughs> But I'm, but you know um we are so blessed to have you on here um you know we always talk about positivity we always talk about just kind of seeing dentistry as something that's just enjoyable I mean you know Dr Horton and I we love dentistry we we wouldn't be doing this podcast after a hard day's worth of work and dealing with all that stuff if we just in, didn't enjoy um you know dentistry and podcasting and so forth and you know I came across your Instagram and I was like oh my goodness. I found somebody who not only just puts out positive vibes, but loves dentistry and does so much with it. And so I wanted to bring you on and I wanted you to tell us your story, basically from beginning, how you came into dentistry, because I love that story, uh, how you I, we, we were just talking offline, how you accidentally came into dentistry. But it really was an accident. I would say faith happens in mysterious ways. So let's start with um, this, your story, your, your, your origin story, if you may. Well, I'm a kid of the South, actually. My parents are from the Civil Rights South. They grew up in the Civil Rights era. And um, I was born in a small town in Mississippi called Natchez, Mississippi. It sits right on the Mississippi River, juxtaposed to uh, the state line of Louisiana. So um, it back in the day, it was a center of industry when things and products would come up the Gulf Coast. That would be one of the places where it would stop. It would stop in Natchez, and that's how Natchez kind of grew. Kind of grew out of nothing. Um, so essentially, my parents grew up in that small town all their lives, and they had me. Um, this was in the early 70s, and they decided, you know what, if we are going to have anything that is going to be any better than we had, any kind of quality of life than we had, they just decided that, as so many other people did, I was just saying this to someone else, that they just became a part of the Great Migration North, as so many other people. They went to places like LA, they went to Chicago, they went to St. Louis, Detroit, all those other places that African-Americans just left the civil rights South in search of like something different. We landed in St. Louis, which is where I grew up um, and subsequently had two younger siblings. And my parents thought, you know, I was in my room studying and they thought, okay, she's going to be something. They didn't know what to tell me to do. You know, they just thought, okay, she's in a room studying. She doesn't, she, she's going to do something special. We just don't know what it's going to be. But they didn't know to tell me to go to college. They didn't know to tell me to go to trade school. They just thought, okay, she's studying, so maybe she's going to be something big. And I ultimately decided that I wanted to be a pharmacist. I probably was about 13, 14. I said, okay, I'll just be a pharmacist because I thought that that was kind of cool. You know, you still had the old pharmacies. You didn't really have a lot of the Walgreens or the CVSs or any places like that. You had the mom and pop pharmacies, right? And I knew I wanted to own my own business. So, okay, I like science. I like math. Let's just be a pharmacist and own my own pharmacy. Well, subsequently, I'm with my mom one day, and she's got to have some major work done at the dental office. 
we walk in, I didn't know this, but we walk in and there was an African-American man who was the dentist. And I thought, this is wild. There's a guy, a black man that's a dentist. And he took a liking to me because I was so intrigued by him. And mom had to have multiple appointments because she, I think she had to have like, I, you know, thinking back on it now, she probably had to have like root canals, buildups, crowns, things like that, uh, multiple bridges. And um, again, because being a child of the civil rights South, if something hurt, they just took it out. So she was without multiple teeth. So she had to have multiple bridges. So we had to go in for work all the time. So she was afraid. So I had to kind of hold her hand, go in, hang out with her. And he asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I said, well, um, I don't know, maybe a pharmacist or something. He's like, nah, you want to be a dentist. And I was like, well, why would I want to be a dentist? And so he started running me through all the reasons and why I wanted to be a dentist. You can have your own practice, own your own business, the same as a pharmacy. You're not capped out with your pay. You can go as high as you want because you can work as much as you want, as little as you want. You can work nine to five, 10 to six, whatever you want to do, close anytime that you want. He's like, you know, it's just a much better career field. And when he did that, he actually went into his office and got a dental book on occlusion and gave it to me. <laughs> so he, so he, he wanted to scare you away from dentistry. <laughs> right. <laughs> then the periodontist, what do I want to know about? I can guarantee you 80% of dentists don't even know occlusion. So <laughs> I was about to say, he gave you a book. No one's read. That's right. <laughs> it was a paperweight. He said, Here. He, he, he might've been the only one to read that book. That's amazing. But I'm tell you, I learned about lateral discursive movements. What? The next time I walked in, we had a full blown conversation about it. He, I mean, he's actually, he's not practicing anymore. I thought he was, but he's not practicing anymore, but I, he is still alive. And I do still chat with him on occasion. Okay. You know, I, I want to just, and we're going to continue your story because I, I, it's it's an amazing story, but I've noticed a pattern with a lot of, you know, uh, African-Americans, uh, uh, dentists, their their origin story always ends or starts with, I finally saw a black dentist. And that Absolutely. what triggered me to go this way. Absolutely. Right. And And the funny thing is, I don't understand why schools aren't seeing the same thing. If you want representation you have to show that you can do the same thing right if we want to increase the number of minorities in schools we have to show minorities practicing because we're we're our biggest advocate i swear to you i've tried to get so many people so many kids to go into dentistry because i'm like i love this but then i think it's incumbent upon us too the mm. people who are the people who we we want to see. We have to go into the field and we have to pull those people out of those STEM programs. We have to pull those people out of those uh, fields that they may not want to go into necessarily, but well, they only go into because they've never seen anything different. So I think it's incumbent upon us, the people who are the brown people, the Hispanic people, the Native American people, the African-American people. It's incumbent upon us that the more, the higher that we've attained a level of uh, achievement, mm -hmm. I think it's incumbent upon us to go back and to pull people into those fields. Well, I wonder. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because I was going to say, I just don't think the majority really, um, I don't think they have any reason I mean, sure, they see that there's a disparity, but what reason do they really have right. to want more African-American dentists or more pe people of color in the field? There's right. just no reason. It's just not human nature. 
No, it, you're absolutely correct. It, it It's not. And I wonder if, if we're going to see a, a change in the next generation. Because one of my things I would always inject in my talks when I talk to undergrad students is that medicine is sexy. You got Grey's Anatomy. You've got, you know, St. Elsewhere for us older folk. Um, house. house. ER, house. Yeah. Dentistry never has that exposure, regardless, before you even get to the layers of, of race and, and, and demographics. But I wonder now that that's changing. I mean, you've got like 75,000 followers and whatever is getting them to the table, they're seeing you as this amazing representative of the profession. So now I feel like we are going to be more visible, you know, thanks to, you know, people with profiles like yours also doing the good work that you're doing. Um, so I wonder if we're going to see a huge shift in the next 20 years of kids that are growing up watching the Fatima Robersons and seeing it as a viable um, option for them. I'm praying because my DMs are full of young women, young men that really want to try dentistry because they've seen me That's doing right. something that they believe is, I don't know if you want to term it sexy, but they've seen me being myself, being authentic, being who I am and bringing everything that I have to the table and doing it in a positive light or trying to do it in a positive light to make everybody see that sometimes or my mantra, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, that some, sometimes it's not all right. It ain't all right, but it is all right. It is right. all right. So that's one of the things that I try and convey with my platform. I try and tell people that, hey, some days are better than other days. Some days I just want to come home and crawl up the, underneath the bed and go to sleep because I'm in so much pain. My neck hurts. My back hurts. I didn't make any money today. Right. You know, right. and sometimes business mm -hmm. has flows. But dentistry is still one of those careers that I don't think that I would have changed because I'm a one trick pony. I don't know that I would know how to do anything else to the level that I know how to do it, which is my surgical skill. I just don't know that I would know how to do anything else. Okay. okay. Well, continue with your story. So I'm going to bring you back, right? We're going to bring you back. So you basically read a collusion book that 90% of dentists don't read. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had a conversation with your mentor right after that. And, and then and then continue, please. So he tried to get me to go to Howard's six-year program. At the time, Howard had a six-year program and you could go right in out of high school, right into their two-year undergraduate degree and then the four-year degree. And that's the one that he graduated from. But it just so happened that Howard had closed the program. Well, I grew up in St. Louis and University of Missouri, Kansas City, right across the state, actually had a six-year program. Hmm. Ultimately, I did apply. I did not get in initially. However, the day, I'm sorry, the actual, probably the month prior to school starting, um, I was actually set to go to St. Louis University. I was just going to go and do four-year undergrad and then try and get into dental school. Well, I was set to go to St. Louis University. A month prior to school starting, I got a letter in the mail that said, hey, we took you off the wait list. We put you into a spot. There was a young lady whose father was a dentist who said, I do not want to go to dental school. This is my father's dream. This is not mine. Of mm. course, I don't have all this information initially, but when I get there, I find right. all this out. Right. They're like, she did not want to come. She took her name out of the hat. You got into the position. So it was just by God's divine grace that I actually got a seat because my I was on the wait list because my ACT score needed to be a 26. I took it three times. I'm just not a great standard test taker, standardized test taker. I got 21, 21, and 22. The last time when I got a 22, my father got up at 3 a.m. in the morning 
Mm. drove from St. Louis to Kansas City because they felt that if I took it in another environment instead of my school's high school auditorium, mm-hmm. that I would maybe get a better grade because I was just in a different environment. Mm-hmm. My father gets up at three o'clock in the morning, drives me to Kansas City, three and a half hours, sits there and waits on me for four hours to take a test and drives me back. Let's shout out the good dads out there. <laughs> that is what? amazing, isn't it? Let's yeah, shout know. out the good fathers <laughs> that are there and will drive four hours in the middle of the night. Listen. Thank you, Mr. Roberson. So, is so, his last name Roberson? Robert, yeah. Roberson. Roberson. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Roberson. You know, yes. can can we actually pause on that? And I want to kind of dive into this. Your parents, did they, they didn't go to did they go to college? My mom does not have any college and my dad had two years of college. But what my dad did was he stopped going to school and went to Detroit to work in, at Ford Motor Company. Mm. He wanted to make money and he got drafted to Vietnam. There you go. So so they understood the importance of education. They had to have, right? In order for, for them to realize how important it is. So can we talk about like just, you know, Family, you don't necessarily have to have that mom or dad that is a dentist or whatever, but the, just somebody to just say, hey, we believe in you and we're going to push you forward. Even though we didn't get there, we're going to push you forward that way. Can you kind of enhance that uh, that conversation with your parents? Absolutely. My mom um, worked for Southwestern Bell, now known as AT&T, for 32 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. That's just what she did. She started at 17 and she worked all the way through for 32 years. Mm-hmm. My mom did not have any type of professional degree. She didn't have any college training. She didn't have anything. Dad, like I said before, quit going to school just to work at Ford Motor Company during the summertime, thinking he was just going to have fun and then come back and get in school. United States government said, ah, 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 (laughs) you're not in school. We're going to draft you. So he never did have a chance to complete his studies. But both of them knew that there there was an education that they had to allow me to have an opportunity to get. They felt as though, I feel, they felt as though they had reached the peak of what they were to do. Um, I think that my parents felt that they had taken it as far as God was going to give them the, the grace to go. And now it was their job to be a uh, breeding ground for um, greater opportunities. And I think that's why they decided to leave Mississippi, because they knew that Mississippi and Louisiana would toggle between 49th and 50th every year for the quality of education they think they're it, still there absolutely yeah. absolutely absolutely premature low low birth weight uh, uh, louisiana i mean just everything um yeah just a cycle of poverty and they knew that if there was going to be something different that they had to uh get us out of there number one number two they had to be able to support us and put us in an environment where it was going to be conducive to us being able to go to school learn something different. Because I think as a parent, you want your child to do at least one step better than what you did, right? So I think that because that was the case, they were hoping and praying that I just went to college. They didn't know what I was going to do. As a matter of fact, when I told them I wanted to go to dental school, they were like, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) They had no clue. They had no clue. They were just hoping I went to college and did better than them. So who's us? Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and I have two younger sisters. Okay, so that leads me into a question. Yes. Were you always studious? Because I know, you know, me having multiple kids, I know I can tell some one kid might be drawn towards academics. You know, two of my kids are drawn. They read a lot, but it's all science fiction. Did they know that you would take to college and academics or was that just a general push that they had? 
it was a general push that they had. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't a studious kid. I did just enough to get by. I didn't do a whole lot. I really did not. As a matter of fact, graduating high school, my GPA was only 3.2. Mm-hmm. So what, what changed? Because, I mean, I'm, I have the same kind of story. So what changed? What got you to switch that light switch? Because, I mean, you're clearly look at the books. Look at you. Look at you know, <laughs> and you and you you've probably read them, unlike Walt and his books behind. Oh no, him. I don't read. You probably anything. opened yours at least no, once. No, this right? is all fake. This is all fake. So. <laughs> I'm talking about Walt. <laughs> it's all fake. The only thing the, the flag. That's all I like to represent the flag. You know, but no. In all honesty, like, so what was that switch? You know, because I think a lot of people would like to know. You know, hey, it's, just because you're not studious in high school doesn't necessarily mean something won't motivate you to be that way. I got there and I felt horrible about the fact that I could potentially squander my opportunity Mm. to make my parents proud of me. Mm. I got there and I wasn't doing well. As a matter of fact, that first semester, they put me on probation. I had a 2.3 GPA my first semester in college. I happened to have an advisor. Me too. (laughs) It's not. It's not nothing to be proud of, to be honest with you. Right. But, but I did two point three my fresh my freshman year, first semester. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have, have an academic advisor who pulled my coattail, and he was like, "Listen, he was an African American gentleman. He's actually still working at the dental school. He hmm. pulled my coattail, and he said, "Listen, um, I forgot to tell you, I went to a six year program at right. UNC. So I did two years of undergrad and four years of dental school." academic advisors that we used were dental school academic advisors hey. so in my freshman year he was still my dental advisor he was still my advisor just okay. because we were part of the program so he pulled my coattail and he said listen in high school every day you would call me and you would tell me how much you wanted to be in this program fought for you to get in now you're here now what you're about to do is you're about to squander your entire opportunity mm. to make your parents proud you're going to go back home and work at Kmart which if that's what you want to do that's fine <laughs> you have an opportunity to do something special. So, you know, the only other thing I can do is call your parents. And I was like thinking about him calling my dad. I thought, oh, 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 no. You will not call my daddy because number one, he's black. Number two, he's bald. (laughs) Number three, he's got a beard. So he doesn't play. (laughs) Are you sure he's not African? (laughs) Because <laughs> that, that was the only check left in my life. <laughs> the only thing that's awesome. Well, well, let me ask you, because I I feel like you brought up something uh, maybe accidentally, the fear not of being in trouble by our parents, but disappointing our parents when they have so visibly invested so much into us. And I, you kind of mentioned how you you didn't really want to let them down. How much of a driving force was that at that pivotal time when he said, hey, I'm going to call your dad? Were you thinking I'm going to get in trouble or were you thinking that's going to break his heart and disappoint him? I was thinking that's going to break his heart. Hmm. That's going to break his heart because all he could talk about was the fact that his daughter was in oh. school. Yeah. That's all he could talk about. That's all my grandmother could talk about. My grandmother was a woman who would show you, she died when she was 95 years old, but she would go back and pull out her high school papers where she got A's in science. Okay. She completed high school, which was odd for that time right. in history. She completed high school. She got a high school diploma. And she would go back and she would look under her mattress and pull her grade papers, 
which had A's on them from science. And I just could imagine that if this had been given, if she had been given the same opportunities at me as, as I did, she would have, she would have rocked them out. And I, there was no way I wanted to disappoint her. Mm. No way I wanted to disappoint her because she had, there was so much that she wanted to do that she couldn't do because she was proud of those papers. Mm. So, so I want to ask, you know, continuing the story while you were in dental school, how difficult or easy was it for you? And what obstacles did you have to kind of get get through? You know, for us, I'll speak for myself, there weren't that many Black students in my class. There was just three of us, actually. And in the school, there was, I think, at the time, six. Yes. So what obstacles did you face while you were in dental school? Because this is going to lead on to kind of like the, the the continuation of your story. And, you know, we talked off offline, but what were some of the obstacles you, you faced while in dental school? Well, number one, I'm different. I'm black. I'm different. I'm different than everybody in my class. Um, there are only two of us later on because we had two students that were from advanced standing that joined us. There were four of us total in my class. Um, there were people who were in some of the honor societies and some of the other groups who would get access to like, tests or study guides or things like that, things that we didn't get access to. Um, you didn't necessarily know who the gunners were, but the gunners would stab you in your back if you had access to something that they didn't have. Um, I didn't know how to study. I never learned how to study because again, remember, I was just a kid who didn't try hard. I just got a 3.2 GPA just because I just attended class and just knew how to act and get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a difficult time in dental school. I won't lie to you. Mm-hmm. I did a difficult time because I constantly compared myself. I'm so happy we didn't have social media back then <laughs> because I would have been comparing myself to not only the people in my face, but the people on social media, I think. Um, I think that I had a difficult time. It was an adjustment. I probably needed some mental, um, probably needed some therapy back then, to be honest with you, going through mm-hmm. some of the things that I went through, but I made it out. Well, you know, that that reminds me of a study that came out a while back that showed that in a lot of especially STEM classes, you have black and Hispanic students when surveyed actually study more than the high performing students, which are usually the the, the white and the Asian students. But we often study alone, whereas they tend to have by sheer numbers and by sheer comfortability, they have community. Right. They study in groups. So when you're talking about, you know, and it, it's sad, but we all share that same story. Right. One of only few um, and just not being able to find a community that helps support you spiritually, mentally, logistically in terms of studying. So where did you find community within your dental school, given the numbers as they were? I had a young lady who was about two classes ahead of me, and um, I actually found her to become my sister. And we are still very good friends to this day. Her daughter is my goddaughter. My children are her godchildren. Um, We talk every other day, if not every day. Um, We both came through that same program. She was a six-year student, just as I was. And I found her to cling to. Um, I found her to talk to, to share things that I was going through because I knew that she knew my same experience. I actually found an instructor who I really, really, really adored. As a matter of fact, I've talked to him probably still once every three months or so. I'll call him just to tell him I love him. And I think that being able to find someone 
Um, he's actually a white man. He's not a he's not a man of color, but he understood me. He was sympathetic to me at least. Um, and so when I had problems, I would go to him and share those problems with him, and he would talk me out of the tree or talk me off the roof or off the pitch, whatever it may be. But I think that's what I found. I found my community in an instructor that I could chat with and in a person that was about two classes ahead of me. By the time she left, I was, I think I was strong enough to support myself, but it wasn't easy. Right. And I, and I think it's important we highlight that because, and we'll get into the story a little bit later, but you're a periodontist, mm -hmm. which is one of the most academic specialties on top of dental school, which makes this story that much more I guess, intriguing and amazing and, and interesting, because as you're telling us, I really want anyone listening, especially not in the dental field, you're saying this at this snapshot, but then you still go on to be extremely successful in one of the most rigorously academic programs or specialties out there. Yes, I did. Yeah. And I, I think I did that because number one, I always loved perio. I always loved the surgical aspect of dentistry. I did not want to do fillings and crowns and bridges and dentures all day. I felt that perio was my 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 truest calling. Um, every time perio would come on the speaker, every time they say we need assistance in perio, I grab my jacket and haul tail just to get <laughs> out to the perio department. <laughs> if if I didn't think that I could get there quick enough, I pick up the phone and call the secretary and say, "Hey, save my spot." I get there and they'd already be waiting for me. They would be fighting over me assisting them because they you. That I love, I love it. I was going to say, where, where were kids like you uh, when I was going through residency? <laughs> I was like, please, anybody, please come and help us. Thank you. <laughs> oh no, I would call and tell. And it wasn't until we took part one board. Yeah. Part one board. I, I think where you do all of your specialties, mm -hmm. And you find out what your highest scores are in your specialties. I was highest in perio. Mm -hmm. And that same instructor I was talking about that I really adore. He's like, you're a periodontist. You're natural born. Okay. You're natural awesome. born. That's awesome. And that was it. So, so I want to continue the story in the sense that, so we've gone through dental school and you're about to finish. Mm -hmm. Did you know you wanted to do perio? Absolutely. Did you apply to perio no and okay. you know what? yeah i already knew the answer but you know i, I gotta make it dramatic and i have yeah, to yeah, you know, yeah. i mean i gotta make it look good dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, so please this is, this is what you get when you listen to our podcast <laughs> a lot of drama a lot of suspense but uh please please tell us you know what happened when you were about to finish with school and, and what the, the path that led you to another route before you can't come into perio? Man, I was beat down mentally. I was beat down mentally. I hit the wall. I was in school for six years straight. I missed out on things as simple as pledging. I, 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 I was able to pledge, but I didn't. I wasn't able to be an undergrad a long time. I had to go right to dental school. So I wasn't able to enjoy myself in that respect. I wasn't able to go out and hang out with my friends. My friends that had graduated college in the four-year span, had they were gone. They left me. They were starting their lives. They were getting these jobs, going to grad school, getting married, having kids, whatever. And I just felt like I missed out on so much. I had been in the constant state of delayed gratification the entire time. I said, you know what? I'm going to get out. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to work. 
and that's just going to be what it is. And I won't return until I get my mental, my mental status right. Mm. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to do it. But God is funny because just as soon as I did that, I worked for about two and a half years, and the boss that I had, we just did not, we just did not see eye to eye. Um, and that door closed on me. But just as soon as that door closed on me, I was able to go right to Perio Residency. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Let her shine, Walt. She needs to Let her shine. So they're, they're supposed to be going to bed. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the funny thing about kids is the second they're about to go to bed is when they have all these things that they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, please continue. <laughs> I just had to holler up the stairs and tell my 17 year old, I was like, look, you're working out, turn this music down because I don't <laughs> want to on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. I swear to you. I swear it's like the one you actually need them to be quiet, they refuse. But I, I apologize. Continue. Oh, I was just saying, I hit the wall. Mentally, I was done, I was exhausted. I was tired of being run over by a truck. I was tired of being uh, talked about. I was tired of being um, denied access to things that I thought legitimately should have been mine, opportunities that should have been mine. Um, I was just tired of seeing people who had fathers, who had practices that they were going to walk right into, mm-hmm. um, walk right into the practices and not have to struggle or think about what they were going to do after dental school. I was just tired. I was tired. I, it just felt that it was a struggle at every step. And I just needed a reprieve from that. I just did not want to, I just didn't want to fight anymore. Mm. I was tired. And so I decided to work for a while and just decide if period was what I really wanted to do. And I thought if it is what I really want to do, then I'll eventually go back. But right now I'm just going to go over here and take a seat. Um, but like I said, God had other plans. The guy that I was working for, he and I just did not, we were not jiving. And um, I was dating my husband at the time. My husband said, or my husband, my now husband said, um, listen, you've always wanted to go to Perio. So when are you going to apply? Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. He's like, yeah, I think you are. Cause you hate your job. You cry every time you go to work. I mean, I'm literally walking out the door crying, I'm going mm-hmm. to work. Yeah. Okay. You got this door closed on you. You know, you're, you're not going to, you don't want to open a practice because you don't want to practice general dentistry. You love Perry. You got to apply. So I ended up applying to UC San Antonio, LSU, Baylor, and to the university that I graduated from. The university I graduated from called me and said, hey, we see you made an application. We don't need you to interview, but we do want you to come in and talk to us. Mm. Came in and talked to them and they were like, you got a spot. Mm. Oh. Damn. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I got a spot without having to go through, without having to fight, which was, I'm not going to say I deserved it, but right. I just didn't have to fight. And that was just God's blessing for me. Right. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Horton and I always talk about this. When you go back to school, you get two things. You get an, you get student debt, right? Possibly. And then you also lose the income that you were making, good or bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that, those are two factors that you have to consider, correct? And, and so what was that like for you, having to go back now, losing that income and then also accruing debt if you had debt to... Uh, to... Well, I'm to be very transparent with you. Please, that... truth be told. Okay, yeah, truth be told. <laughs> I, um, 
my husband was working. Mm -hmm. I was working. I go back to school. We had our first daughter. Mm -hmm. Daughter was a honeymoon baby. So she's born. She's here. She's she's months old. And I just had to go back. As a matter of fact, she's born June 9th. I start school July 1st. That's right. July 1st. That's right. She's about three weeks old. I go from making about $70,000 a year as a general dentist to making $1,600 a month in a stipend. Mm. My husband and I lost most everything. Mm-hmm. We went from two cars to one. That car was threatened to be repossessed. He had to leave the city that we were in to go to the city where my parents lived. We were living in Kansas City. He had to go to St. Louis to work because more money was to be made at this other company. He um, I could cry when I talk about this. We had bill collectors calling all the time. It was impossible for me to keep my daughter in Kansas City because I could not afford to send her to daycare. My mother um, retired early from her job and she had the opportunity to retire early. She did. She would come and get my daughter, take her to St. Louis for a week to be with our family. She come back to Kansas City to be with me for a week. St. Louis, Kansas City. She, My mother did that every week for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Every week for two and a half years, my mother rode up and down Interstate 70 to take my daughter to Kansas City just so that she could see me and she could know who I was. Shout out to moms out there. I know we shouted out the dads, but good Lord, you got me tearing up right now. Listen, Shout out to moms right now. Listen, my goodness. You know, man, I I mean, I'm I'm actually, man, not only am I impressed, I am, you know, let me just say this. Without a village, Mm. I don't know how any of us could do what we do, right? You may think you do a lot of stuff on your own. Sometimes you feel like that, right? But if you actually sit back and reflect, which is what you did, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your honesty and your transparency. Because that's a, you know, we always try to get that from people, but this is, I'm telling you, this is incredible. Um, Talk about, talk about now you're going through this. Talk about how difficult it was not only having to be a mom, not only having to maybe help out, not only having to study, not only having to do your surgeries, make sure you're competent in that. Like, how did you balance all that out in all honesty? And this is not for it. This is male, female. It doesn't matter. Black, white. It doesn't matter. That that balance is incredible. It's incredibly hard. It's, it's incredibly hard. But I'm going to be honest with you. Mm. I believe. I believe I I believe the guys that were in my program, they had wives. They were able to support them and undergird them. My husband was neither in the city, not in the household. He was away. Right. So the times that I did have my daughter before my mother retired, it was hell on wheels. Mm. But I believe I believe that my persistence that I learned in dental school or the resilience that I learned in dental school prepared me for my life in residency. So the toughness, the mental toughness that I had to gather in dental school prepared me for what residency was gonna ultimately be like. I 
think it had to happen the way that it did. I don't think dental school could have been easier and then period or residency harder. I think it had to be hella hard and then mm. hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, aside from making sure that from now on, given this story, your husband gets a big piece of chicken every night at dinner. Okay. <laughs> Let's make sure what, about, what about steak or asking them what he wants? I'm, it's ridiculous. I apologize. No, no it's I a Chris apologize. Rock joke, my man. It's a big piece of chicken. <laughs> I know where you're going. I know where you were going with that. I know where you were going with that, but hey, come on. <laughs> but, you know, it was, was Perrier at the time uh, two years or three years? Three years. You could do it in three years if you wanted your master's degree, but you could do it in two and a half if you were just going to take your certificate and run. Okay. So you, you committed after six years to two years. And one of the big things I wanted to grasp on as I was taking notes here was this, this sense of delayed gratification, mm-hmm. which is such an important lesson, especially for today's generation where everything is instant. Do you still talk to your kids or students that you may interact with about the importance of delayed gratification, especially if you have a goal that's going to be kind of a long-term path? I absolutely do. And I do it in response to social media. I try and make sure that they understand that everything that they see happening, whether that person is in dental school, medical school or not, professional school, that they may not have the same experience. What they don't see is that they're, the person that's on social media may have walked directly into a practice that was given to them by a parent or that that person has no personal debt because there is someone underwriting their education. So I try and get them to understand that everything that you see on social media, don't let it fool you. And don't let even the people that are in your class fool you because they are gunners and they may not necessarily only be gunners, but they really may be walking directly into a practice. This may be something that has been in the works in terms of that person getting into dental school. It may have been in in the works for 20, 25 years because their father may have graduated that institution and he Mm -hmm. may heavily to an alumni fund and may have secured a spot for his child or her child. So all these things are important for people to know. So that is definitely, apart from mental fortitude and and resilience, you do have to be aware that you do have to delay your gratification and understand why it's so important that you do it. Because good things will come. It's just nothing comes easy. And the kids these days believe that it will. So I think it's important to always preach it. So So you think with especially young men, because one of the things that I'm finding when I talk to them is, there's a lot of social pressures for young men, black men, especially to be financially secure, to be on the market, right? To be able to have a girlfriend, a wife and, you know, things that, you know, it's important for us to be able to socially interact in 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 the love of the world of love. Right. And as we just described, going to dental school or medical school, you're usually the brokest one in your friend group. Until you're like 30, right? I remember I, my one of my good high school buddies went right out and was a longshoreman like his dad, make killing it. He had Hummers going on vacations and I was living off of student loans, right? Do you notice that that may play a factor in students when they're thinking of like, okay, I got to start a life now. Does dentistry fit or is it even worth waiting when I could probably do something else now? I definitely notice it, and especially in the climate that we're currently in, where you have things on social media that where women are saying, I don't want to go out with you if you're going to take me to Cheesecake Factory. 
Which so, I, I like the Cheesecake Factory. Let me just put it out there. Hey, I, I The Jamaican jerk chicken and shrimp. Ooh, the chicken littles. Oh, the hey, Louisiana chicken pasta. That would have <laughs> lost me. I, you, you're gonna, you would lose me. <laughs> you say something that ridiculous, you're, it's over. But anyway, please, I digress. I apologize. Sorry. I got emotionally charged. <laughs> but it's true. We, we are saying things like that, and especially in this kind of climate. Absolutely. Our young guys... We may not, they may not be attracted to it because you're absolutely right. They're, they dentistry is not one of those careers where you get gratification right away. You just, you just don't. Right. So you know uh, the continuation of the story still, and I, I promise you, this is this is we do this on purpose, right? Um, you're going through perio. You're finished with perio. You had mentioned earlier on that you wanted to be. I think it was what 13 or 14. You wanted to have your own business. Yes. What happened after perio? My husband and I decided to move to Dallas because I wanted to be in the South. My husband is an Arkansas native and he wanted to try and remain in the South. The Cowboys were his favorite team growing up. So I said, you know what? Listen, this guy. <laughs> this guy. the Eagles have one good year and you can't stop hearing about it. <laughs> I forgive him. He's done so many other good things that I forgive him. We'll pretend this never happened. Continue, please. <laughs> So I've got two regional boards under my belt. So I was like, you know, I can practice in 26 states. So let's just oh. pick one. Let's go. Okay. We decided to end up in Texas. And um, we ended up moving here. Um, we had $60 to our name. The only way we were able to move here, to be honest with you, is because my sister had moved here about two months prior. She was on a work assignment, a temporary work assignment. Um, she came. We moved into her corporate housing with her. We lived with her until we could find something. My husband went out and found a job. So within 30 days, he had something. Within 30 days, I also had something in the corporate dental world. Mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of doing some temping for him. I was the hygienist. I was I was doing kind of anything that I could to make the ends meet. Because again, we had a kid, we had a daughter, so we had to figure it out, right? And um, we just ended up planting roots here. And it just it, it just happened that way. But ultimately, I worked in corporate dentistry for about another two and a half years until I met my partner, who is um, a root canal specialist. She's an endodontist. She mm -hmm. and I were both working in corporate dentistry, and we were introduced by a mutual front desk patient or person that knew both of us and said, you know what? You two are a lot alike. You got similar qualities, similar philosophies. I think you guys would be great together. And it's been 18 years. Okay. Now, did you guys start an office together? Did you buy an existing office? How did that work out? We built from the ground up 18 years ago mm. in endoperio practice. Okay. So can you, uh, I want to get people to understand something, right? So sometimes we talk about like ortho and pedo, great combination, right? They refer back and forth to each other. You could say perio and proso, great combination, because you can refer back to each other and so forth. Endo and perio, you don't hear that that often. Oh, well, a great combination. right. So explain to everybody why that is such a good combination. I mean, peri, you know, Dr. Horton's a periodontist. I'm a periodontist. You're a periodontist. So we're, we know that side, right? But I want you to talk to everybody else and explain to us why that is such a great combination. Well, it's a great combination, number one, because she has cracked teeth all the time. She has cracked teeth. She has combination lesions all the time, which a combination lesion is 
you know, for the people out there that don't know, it's basically either an infection in the tooth or around the tooth. And sometimes they can meet in the middle. So she routinely has that. So I routinely will have her test my teeth that I believe is our combination lesions. She'll have me look at the perio. She sees a percation involvement, things like that. I don't want to talk too high level, but it's a great combination. Crown lengthening. Crown lengthening. Absolutely. I'm taking teeth out that she does not um, believe are restorable, um, putting in implants, whatever the case may be, but it's a great combination. It's a great combination. And we've been together. We answer restorative questions for each other all the time. Um, she leans on me a lot because I have been able to practice general dentistry where she re went right into her residency without practicing general dentistry. So she'll routinely ask me questions about the salvageability or the restorability of the tooth um, before she even talks to her GP about it, her general dentist about it. Um, we just bounce things off of each other all the time. And we have similar stories, similar circumstances. So we undergird each other. We help each other. Um, and that's been the biggest help, the biggest support that I've had thus far in my life has truly been my partner. Can I ask that's, one more? Oh, go ahead. Let go me ahead. just ask one more question on top of what you just said. And and I wanted to, I was going to bring this up, but you just did it for me. So I thank you. How important was it that you actually were a general dentist first mm. before becoming a periodontist? And I think a, a lot of people need to hear that. How important is it now that you were a general dentist so you speak that language? Absolutely. I was just going to say that. I speak the language of a general dentist because I know that when I'm placing an implant, I know what's, if it's going to be restorable or if it's not. Routinely, what will happen is you'll get something back from one of your doctors or surgeon, your perio, and you can't use it. And it's because they don't necessarily know the principles of what it's going to take to restore this implant or what it's going to take to give them the patient the best quality. So what I have, what I'm able to glean from that is I use the experience that I had when I was a general dentist. And from that, I'm able to go, you know what? I can think outside the box because I'm not just thinking as a periodontist, I'm not looking at it in a tunnel vision manner. I'm looking at it holistically and going, okay, big picture, the patient's going to need this, 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 and this. And the wheels in my head are already moving. I'm already thinking, okay, we need to counsel them about decay. We need to get them fluoride treatments. We need to get an occlusal exam. We need to get so I'm always, I'm in motion the entire time. And it's not just thinking about what's underneath the gums or what's in the gums. It's everything. It's holistically. I see. Now, now you said you opened up your practice around 18 years ago, right? Yes. Which is, a, it, it is a long time ago when you look at all the changes that have happened in the landscape of dentistry. But you mentioned that there was already corporate dentistry going on. How has your private practice navigated the increasing world of corporatizing our industry? And what, what are some of the challenges and adaptations you've had to um, uh, implement? Doc, I'm going through this right now. It's getting increasingly difficult to be a lone practitioner. Um, I don't want to sound doom and gloom, but it is getting increasingly more difficult to be a lone practitioner. I have to be very honest with you. There are two things that are happening. There's corporate dentistry, but then there's also the practitioner who is going from office to office to office with no brick and mortar. Um, so they don't have the overhead that you have. And so it's getting increasingly more difficult to compete. Yeah, um, I can't stand those guys, by the way. <laughs> can't stand those guys. Nothing wrong with it. No, no, no. I have to join you. I'm not mad at no, you. No, listen. No, no. I, you know what? It's so amazing that you said, I want you to talk about that. I want yeah. you to talk about that because a lot of grads, 
when a lot of new grads, a lot of new periodontists, when they graduate, they fall into this like abyss and they don't know where they're going. Right. Yes. Because I remember whenever I graduated, I was set up ready to go and work with a, a periodontist. And he basically was like, I just don't have enough patience. I remember I moved to Houston for one of that one. Of, well, that was one of the main reasons. Mm-hmm. And then I get here and he's like, oh, I don't have enough patience for you. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm already here. <laughs> you yeah. know. And so you had to I had to go a different route. But in all honesty, private practice is what I was ga- I was aiming for. So I want you to talk about that. That's beautiful. I would be honest with you. I would tell you Please. that if you're graduating residency, you you got a lot of options, to be quite honest with you. When I was working in corporate dentistry, I was making major money, major money. I was bringing that money home. I was paying my taxes and I was taking care of my family. As soon as I opened my practice, my money got cut by about two thirds. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you why. Preach, Number one, preach. Number one, I didn't know anything about running a business. I didn't have a background where parents taught me how to run a business. I made every mistake you could think of. I got into tax trouble. I got into trouble here. I got into trouble there. I got into some major things that I had no idea about because I didn't have the business knowledge. Dental school didn't prepare me for it. Undergrad didn't prepare me for it. My family structure didn't prepare me for it. So I made multiple mistakes. Heck, I'm probably still making mistakes that I just don't know about. But I did everything. I've been there, done there, got the T-shirt. But I I want you to consider the fact of what the landscape looks like now. You got corporate dentistry. Of course, you're not going to like it long term. But then you also got to think about, do you really want a brick and mortar? Do I really, really want the sacrifice of a brick and mortar? Or do I really just want to travel, go do what my job is, not have to worry about the office situations and all the stuff that comes with that, employee management, things like that. And do my job and come home? Or do I want to sell to a corporate entity if I do get into a private practice? Do I want to sell my practice to a corporate entity and be phased out in three to five years? So you've got a lot of options. Do you want to teach? Do you want to stay in academia? So there are a lot of options that you have. But I want you to really consider that private practice is not the end all be all. It's, it's, that's great advice. And I think if we can compound on that, it's that you have all these options for different phases of your life. Mm-hmm. In one phase, practice ownership might make sense. Your temperament is there. Your energy levels are there. Your desire is there. Then you transition to another phase. You know, and I'm, Walt will probably tell you, I'm kind of telling my story, right? I own two offices for 13 years. Now I'm finishing up residency, but I travel. I work every Saturday and I love being a traveling dentist, right? Uh, you know, doing specialty work, but it fits my life now. In two, three years, it might evolve. And I think what a lot of people get into or thrust into is this notion that whatever you choose, that's a for life decision. And not that you should be willy nilly making decisions, right? You got to be able to commit to some type of a plan, but there is room for evolution of that plan with, especially with all these options that you might have. That just blessed me. Thank you for that. Because that makes sense. You're right. The temperament. Yeah. (laughs) I'm 50. I, you know. (laughs) Listen, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You're, you mean you're 21. You're 21. Thank you. Please don't do that. (laughs) You're making us look bad. We got the gray hair. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, You know, I want you to really highlight and talk about the, the, I want to. I don't want to call it a clash, but just the difficulties now of now having to deal with, like you said, corporate and the traveling and dentists that don't want to send patients out. They want people to come to them. 
Can you talk about that environment now? Because that's what we're dealing with now. And a lot of people don't talk about that kind of environment now in dentistry. No, absolutely. I would say that maybe 10 to 15% of my referring doctors have done so. They have put people in their offices. Um, it's not a large chunk, but it's alarming. None the same. It's alarming. So when you think about the fact that if you have an A referral, which is what I would classify as somebody that's sending you three to five patients a week, three to five patients a month, whatever the case may be, if you have someone that's sending you those patients, but all of a sudden stopped, that's a large chunk of money coming out of your pocket. You compound that with some of these corporate entities where they have traveling doctors. I was one for the corporate entity. I had eight different offices and had a two week set schedule. So I know what that looks like taking my staff from office to office. That's alarming in itself too, because the patients still get very patients, somewhat patient-centered care. And what I mean by that is they still see the same periodontist. They may not see the same general dentist, but they do see the same periodontist, maybe on a, every two-week rotation. Um, yeah, and it seems like some of my colleagues that are around me are selling to corporate entities. I've been approached by multiple corporate entities to actually look at purchasing my practice. Um, I don't really know how I feel about that. And I don't want to be so stubborn where I miss the boat, you know? So I'm struggling right. with that. Right. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm struggling with that. So those, those things frighten me, you know, a little bit to see that I've built something that may not be as worth as much as I thought it would be because I maybe don't have as much of as many patients as like the gentleman you were talking about to be able to invite someone in that would eventually want to buy my practice. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids that are graduating residency now are going into corporate entities. Mm -hmm. To be honest with mm -hmm. you, it's just right. really, it's hard to attract them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you can't do, you can't offer them retirement. You can't offer them medical right. benefit at the rate that they want it, you know? Right. Well, and you, you can't advertise the way the corporate does, right? They go into these uh, residencies and they, oh, let me take you to dinner and let me do this. And so they, you know, I always say that they kind of blow smoke up, you know what <laughs> they do, right? Because they don't really tell you the full picture. They just tell you the beautiful parts, right? They don't really tell you the full picture, what it looks like when you actually do join them. And so that's another, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this as somebody who's dealt with corporate multiple, right? And I, it's not always as pretty as they make it seem. And it's not as easy as they make it seem. And that's something that I think, you know, we have to be honest about so thank you so much for that honestly. but speaking of honesty well let me ask mm. a question let me pose a question to both of you um because this this is a great topic i how many providers you know that have sold their offices to corporate entities are truly happy and ecstatic that they did it oh I, I feel like i am not getting i'm hardly ever getting that sentiment like oh yeah i sold it it's one of the best things i ever did no you know I, i'm gonna dispute that Mm. I've talked I've talked to several people who are like, you know what? It was the best thing I ever did. Mm. I've I've only talked to I've only talked to two people who have done it and have hated it, and both of them sold to the same entity. Mm. And so I can understand that when they sold to that that entity, that entity was not the best choice for them and maybe not anybody else. Mm. But there have been other people who have had perio endo practices, perio alone practices, another perio alone practice. And they sold to three different entities and all three of those entities have been great fits for them. Mm. So I would have to say that in that situation, it's two against three, but you have to understand that the two that hate it were with the same company. Mm. Yeah. So you have to say that that company is just not right. good. 
So why do you think that people get to the point where they're like, you know what, I'm done with this. Let me just sell it and and get off this headache that they have. Because it had to be something that triggered them to finally say, I'm going to just sell to a corporation. Can you, what do you think? I mean, and this is not you telling us a definitive, but this is your opinion. I think again, just every, it's everything we said. You just get tired of fighting. You get tired of fighting the corporate entity. You get tired of fighting the people that have the travel imperials in their office um, that don't have the overhead that you do. You get tired of just fighting employee issues. You get tired of Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of my day-to-day headaches. You get tired of <laughs> reports commissions coming in saying you didn't file a report and then you got to go and think. I mean, it's just, it's one. It's not one thing after another. I don't want to make it doom and gloom, but business ownership is not easy. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it's not meant to be easy, but sometimes it doesn't have to be so difficult. And so sometimes the thing that you want to do is just the period. Mm, right. All right. Well said. Now, your layperson, Fatima, would just ask you, why don't you just hire someone to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that laugh? What you got? What you Did got you managers that for that? Laugh. Just hire someone to, no, to do that. You know? hear that laugh. That is somebody that's going through a lot. That was a laugh. Of- <laughs> Sir, in a private practice, you are the doctor, the janitor, the front desk person, the copy machine fixer. The- mm-hmm. <laughs> you are some. The counselor. For everybody's problems, right? <laughs> but no one wants to hear yours. No one wants to hear yours, though. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so you know, one thing that I, I noticed is you have taken a very unique way of kind of introducing yourself to the world through social media. So tell us how this whole social media thing came, because you have like 70-some thousand followers, which is very unusual for a dentist. Trust me, I have like two. So very usual for that. You're doing amazing. <laughs> well, no, put an asterisk on. Let's qualify that for someone that's not thirst trapping. Oh, that's true. You're, okay. No, listen. You have seventy five thousand oh, followers, and there's obviously there's a lot of selfies and a lot of self pic, but they are the most classiest pictures. <laughs> and to still get that many with those type of photos, I love it. I I, I absolutely love it. So let's refer- let's let me ask a question. A better <laughs> what. <laughs> What got you one saying, I'm going to go towards the Instagram because you basically caught the wave at a perfect time, right? Where you were trying to educate because I got a chance to go through all that stuff. You were trying to educate, but still show your life. And how do you balance that out of education, showing your professional life and showing your personal life all in one, one window? So I started social media during COVID. The governor of Texas closed us down for the 90 days. Mm -hmm. And I'm a person that's used to talking to 10, 12 patients a day. So I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going crazy in here. So it was really my therapy. I tried to get my my kids to teach me how to use TikTok. Nobody would teach me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to teach myself. So I learned how to use Instagram and TikTok. And I started making videos just as a way to talk to people, to make people laugh because it made me feel better about sitting here and looking at nothing but walls and the continuous amounts of CE that they will continue to put before us. Mm-hmm. So I started making these videos and I started making things that were not only motivational, but things that were educational because I felt as though people needed to see both. Then what started happening is people would DM me and they'd say, hey, my daughter wants to be a dentist or hey, my daughter wants to be a dental assistant. And she, I told her, I gave her your information and I want her to start following you because I want her to look at you. 
And I thought, wow, is this what they call a platform? Okay, so I'm gonna do more of this. And so I would get these young girls or these young guys or just people that were following me and, and, and said, you know, we wanna be like you. And I thought, well, what is it that gravitate, what, what makes people gravitate to me? And I thought, you know, I'm just gonna tell people who I am. I'm mm. just gonna be as real as I can. I'm gonna la- make them laugh as much as I can. I'm gonna give them as much of my real life as I can without it being overboard. Um, and I'm gonna educate along the way. And like I said before, I think in the podcast, you know, for me, my mantra is it ain't all right, but it's all right. It's all right. Okay. It's all right. So it, it may not be the best today, but it's still it's still all right. We we're gonna be okay. What what does uh Kendrick Lamar say? We gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so okay, so how but I guess some people would wanna know how are you leveraging the social media, uh, maybe to offset what you're seeing in the business industry as far as, you know, marketing with corporate entities, like, have you been able to leverage social media and not just in income, but as part of bringing patients in, becoming a part of the more known part of the community that you're serving? I actually don't get a lot of patients. Let me rephrase that. I do get some patients from social media. But I cringe sometimes when I do get patients from social media because I think that they may think that what they see on social media, you know, me laughing and acting silly may translate to them as being unprofessional and not necessarily as educated. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I cringe with that. So when p- patients do come in, they see me always with my Jordans because that's what I wear with my stuff. I wear Jordans all the time. They want to see what kind of Jordans I have on today. And I let okay. them see what kind of Jordans I have on today. And I'm like, okay. So now that you've seen my Jordans, now that you know me and I've introduced myself, how can I help you? Mm. Let me tell you, I am professional and I can't help you. What is it that you need? And that that knocks them off of that, okay, oh, she's just a social media doctor. We, you know, she may not really even be able to help me. I just really wanted to meet her and see what she was like. Mm. So I'm not the housewives of Atlanta kind of <laughs> doctor. I mean, I'm real. You know, and I may be silly, but it's really to be off-putting. It's to, it's to take people off alarm, to have them hear a word that's educational. So I'll use something funny to educate. One of my hashtags is educate with humor, mm-hmm. you know, and and for the culture. Okay. Sometimes in some of the things that we talk about, like hypertension or something like that, sometimes people of color, we don't know that hypertension is is really dangerous. So I'll use something really funny to get at the heart of the matter and let them know this is real. You have to pay attention to it. Hashtag for the culture, hashtag educate for the, educate. Okay. But how do I leverage that? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, please, please. Um, I tend to, I have a book and I write all of my ideas down. And so when I hear a song or I hear something, I'll go to my book and I'll go, oh, that fits perfect. And then I'll do seven or eight skits on a Sunday. And I'll hold them until I think it's appropriate to release it. That's really what that is. Yeah, and it does take work, like creating content. It does. People it act does. like like you, you you shot it in two minutes and it was done. Like creating <laughs> content takes a lot of editing, getting the timing to the song and the beat just right. Like that does take a while. It does. So at least <laughs> you do the videos and then you edit it on, on another day. So it's it doesn't... Within a, a given week, it probably takes me two hours to do what I'm going to do. I really don't give it that much more time. 
Like okay. this week, I haven't put up any content, but it's fine. I'm not doing it for the engagement necessarily to get deals. I use social media to let people know that to be a periodontist, a Black woman periodontist is possible. Okay. That's really why I do it. Wow. So, you know, my last question is, you know, you've shared so much with us, right? And you've basically opened up and explained your whole journey, which is exactly what we wanted. We wanted you to kind of explain your whole journey because your journey, I think, is something that people need to hear. It doesn't always have to be a straight line, but in the end, you are exactly where you need to be. What would you tell the young people coming up, other dentists that maybe wanted to specialize, but said, oh, well, it's too late for me or whatever it may be. What advice would you tell that somebody who listens to your story and is inspired to just go forward, whichever direction that may be? What would I tell somebody who, who, I guess I would say that the most important thing for me is knowing the end from the beginning, to be quite honest. And I've said this before, I'll say it over and over and over again. You got to know from the very beginning, if you have a desire to be a periodontist, that you're going to be a periodontist whether it takes you one, two or 25 years, if you want to be a periodontist and you put it in the atmosphere, it is something that you have critically thought about and know that it is possible. If you've already seen it done before you, if it's already been done, you know that it's possible for you. So to me, knowing the end from the beginning, because there would have been no way that I could have gone to dental school, could have been running the perio every time they call for somebody to come and be an assistant, scoring a, uh, a, a higher grade on that portion of my boards than anything else, knowing that I was completely qualified to do it. But if I had looked at myself and looked at that whole class of periodontists that were before me, seeing that there were no African-American people in it, knowing that I was actually a second, I'm not going to lie. There was one African-American guy who was eight years before me, but nobody else. If I had looked at that entire class and had known that I would be the first, if I hadn't known from the very beginning that it was possible, I wouldn't have been able to complete it. So know the end from the beginning. Know the end from the beginning. Okay. All right. Well, listen, are we uh, if we're wrapping up, I got some rapid fire uh, <laughs> okay. questions for you. Okay. So, so how is that uh, wrapping promise- up? If you have uh, multiple uh, questions, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, 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 you'll see. It'll, 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 it'll okay. take like a minute. It'll I, take like a minute. It'll he's doing like this again. Yeah, I, okay. I, I have no control over this anymore. All right, Dr. Robertson, uh, hand scales or ultrasonics? Hand scale. Gotcha. Heroic save or jump to implant? You got to give me some quality. I was going to say, mm-hmm. that's a tough mm-hmm. one. Which way do you lean? No, 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 no. Don't be too academic. Which way do you oh. tend to lean? Heroic save or definitive implant treatment? Subgen- in general. Subgenital decay at the crestal margin. I'm always going to try and do a crown lift and then save it. Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm always going to like that. That's so a he's good a, answer. She's we'll a naturalist. That. She's a naturalist. Every, that, whatever God gave you is better than what I'm going to do. That's I agree. 100%. 100%. What's your favorite perio procedure? Oh, soft tissue grafting. Soft okay. tissue grafting. You have to show us one day. We'll bring you back and you show us a case, okay? That's a good idea. We'll do a case. Okay. I'm All right. Hey, favorite love song? Oh, Stevie Wonder, Ribbon in the Sky. Hey. I like it. Okay. 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 What is your favorite past accomplishment? Mm. Raising three well-adjusted children. 
Well said. That's tough. That is, that is <laughs> not tough. easy. That is tough. Not perfect. They just well adjusted. That's it. <laughs> we don't ask. We don't ask for perfection. And what's uh, lastly, what's one of your largest hopes for the future? That I will die with significance, having impacted the world, not necessarily for the things that I've done, but for who I have been to others significance, that I leave a legacy of significance, that my life has meant something, not for what I've been able to attain financially, but I've imparted wisdom to somebody. That's the only thing I can say. Significance. We should desire a life of significance and not necessarily success. I don't know if that makes sense, but significance is what makes people remember us for generations. Well, listen, we've just spent an hour together and I promise you, both me and Walt will remember you. This has been one of the funnest, I think, most most uh, refreshing I, hours I say, that we've done you, you on can't the cast. Say, you can't say funnest. My wife is going to correct you. She's she's ridiculous with this stuff. So please be please don't do this to me because she's gonna come to me. And talk about, Did you hear what Leroy said? Funnest? I'm like, oh come on. I'm pretty sure funnest is a word. Uh, just please use another more most most enjoyable, most fun. Most fun. That, there it is. You know, I, I will say I will say that rapid fire was actually really cool. I, I yeah. like that. That was actually really really cool. We might need just need to do that going forward. Yeah, because it scared me. Yeah, like, yeah. It, scared, <laughs> it scared me too. I was like, "Where's he going with this?" You're like, "Man, we are. It's it's, it's wrapping up. I'm tired. What are you talking about? Multiple questions? <laughs> no, but somebody cut his mic. Right, his mic. Right, right. No, honestly, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. It was. Just Thank y'all me. so much. This was yes. fun. This. Yes, I, I mean, we really an honor and a privilege. It really is. Yeah, I mean, we know how busy you are. We definitely know that. And we thank you so much for just taking the time to just be on here and entertaining us fools, really. That's what it comes down to, you know. Now, Walt, I'm going to go find you on LinkedIn and we're going to connect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not as active as he is, but okay. but I'm definitely on there. <laughs> you know, but I really, de- and honestly, when I say thank you, we really, I'm, I mean, honestly, thank you. We really, everything yeah. that you said, I'm not sure if 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 people listen to this episode and don't they don't get something, if not a lot from this, then I don't know what they're doing this was incredible and it was very very touching and also very eye-opening and very honest and that's something that we always talk about you know so thank you really thank you thank you all right we'll do this again soon have a good night thank you for listening to this episode of tooth be told the opinions on this episode are just that our opinions please consult your dental professional before taking any action with your dental health If you have any questions about anything you heard on this episode, please contact us at Real Dentist with an S. That's R-E-A-L, Dentist with an S, at gmail.com. We would be very happy to return any message that we receive because we love the communication that we have with our listeners.